series Bionate, where we provide practical and technical insights to independent financial advisors and wealth managers in South Africa. I'm your host, Georgina Smith, and I'm excited to be bringing to you this episode focused on private equity and venture capital. We're joined today by two esteemed guests, Samantha Pockery and Delphine Govender, who both have extensive experience in both industries and join us today to share some insights. Samantha uses her nearly two decades of experience in private equity, venture capital, and investing in technology-related businesses for the benefit of all portfolio companies that Sonari Capital manages, whether advanced innovators or those at the outset of their digital transformation journey. Delphine is also a seasoned investment professional with over 25 years of experience in the industry. In 2012, she founded Perpetua Investment Managers and has focused on investment decisions over public market assets across various asset classes, such as equities, fixed income and multi-asset class investments. Together, we explore the opportunities and challenges presented by these asset classes, as well as provide practical tips for incorporating them into your clients' portfolios. So sit back, relax, and let's connect the dots. Sam, if I might just come to you, you know, what often perhaps the perception is, and this might be a very old-fashioned perception, but often the perception is, is that private equity comes in and the owner has built up this wonderful business and it's got the same values, you know, great diversity values, which um, Delphine um, really brings to the fore in her company. And then there's this, there's this perception that private equity comes in and demands that certain things are done in that particular company, which perhaps, you know, um, drive efficiencies, if you like, if I can put it that way, but ultimately over time start to erode the values of the owner's business. What would you say to that, Sam? What, what would you say to that view? It's it's such a great question. Um, and I think it, it really sits in a old-fashioned view of private equity. Now, I don't want to, again, be generalizing because the important thing with understanding private equity, much like understanding all other types of asset management, is that there's different strategies and there's different approaches and, frankly, values and uh, underpinning um, different investment strategies. Uh, but one of the things that is why we've actually seen a big growth from an institutional perspective in terms of the focus on utilizing private equity has actually been for the delivery of ESG, environmental social governance, um, but also social and environmental impact, okay? So not just do no harm, okay? But actually going further than that and saying, Let's drive a more purposeful agenda. We live in a world that requires a much greater emphasis around sustainability um, and understand that we can actually use this uh, asset class as a means to deliver this social outcome in a business environment. Now, where does that get driven from? So again, um, Different companies, different different uh, different fund managers, different cultures, etc. Certainly, from a scenario capital perspective, uh, I, I think I can safely say that there are easier ways to make money than what our team does. Um, so then you ask, well, but but why? So each of us in our in our team have our own particular stories around what we what personal purpose we believe we can give effect to through our actual investment work, right? Um, in particular, we share across the board 
a focus on job creation, a focus on uh, dignified work, a focus on diversity and inclusion. The inclusion part's a terribly important element of, of, of what we see, um, as well as the environmental impact and general focus on being able to help businesses to grow because of the impact that that has on the economy and the, the broader livelihoods that are supported through it. So we get to do unbelievable on the ground work. And the real magic in all of this, um, and I will come back to why more companies. So at our firm, we're very purpose led by virtue of the people who are working there. But there is another side to the equation, which is driven by the sources of capital, which I'll come back to. But the really amazing part is that because we are so active in our underlying portfolio companies, because we hold either a controlling interest or a significant influence, is that when we show up on day one, okay, and we are now at the, the point of actually convincing these companies to partner with us because we are investment partners, we are co-owners in their business, we have a very unapologetic approach to driving this social impact and greater uh, purpose. Um, and we align and we partner only with companies that share those same values. So again, going back to, it's not an answer for all of private equity. I'm still going to come back to that. Um, but what you will find is that specific businesses will really share the values of the companies that they invest in and be very proactive in supporting and driving this. And I can share many examples. Um, but why is it that private equity as a whole has become this real inroad in terms of driving social impact and, 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 and climate change, et cetera, is because our sources of capital being either development finance institutions or in the South African environment, been incredibly proud to have been partnered with um, pension funds that have placed at a very high up on their agenda, the diversity, inclusion, black owned, women owned fund managers, um, but also the ultimate impact on, on the communities that they're servicing. And that has been a major source of, of capital flowing into our industry. And it comes with these requirements around ESG, as well as social and environmental impact. And it's fascinating. Delphine, if I might now just switch to you, because, I mean, Sam's made some really great points there about diversity and inclusion and, and really kind of, you know, making sure that you partner with the right, right people in your business. From your perspective, again, you know, as I said earlier, you were ahead of the curve. You could see what people actually wanted. And as Sam rightly says, there's easier ways to make money, right? But you've chosen to do it the hard way because it's what you believe in. And you talked, you talked earlier, Delphine, about, you know, the journey that the industry has been on in the previous 10 years, and you could see what was coming in the next 10 years. And now I'm quite interested in how you see our industry moving in the, in the coming decade, if you like. What, do, what are your views in terms of where the idea of ESG, diversity, inclusion, what different people in the different in, in the markets, what our investors and advisors, clients are really looking for. How do you how do you see that panning out, Delphine? 
Yeah, I mean, that's, that is the question, I guess, Georgina, because if we had, you know, the exact answer to that, uh, we'd know exactly what product would, you know, be in demand in a decade from now, um, what sorts of, you know, sorts of returns would be available. But I think we could make pretty intelligent guesses. And, I, and, and, the, and, and, and the benefit here is that we exist as a value chain. We talk of investments as a value chain, you know, right from, um, you know, whichever way you want to start, whether it's the, whether it's the company that needs the capital or the investment idea or the issuer that needs the capital all the way to the individual, whether it's the member in a pension fund or the individual, you know, saving for themselves who has the, the savings that they want to grow. Um, and, and through that value chain exists a whole host of um, advisors, participants, et cetera, including, you know, the asset managers like ourselves, whether in private markets or public markets. Um, one critical part of that, that value chain is, is the advice part, whether you are in the institutional space, which are, you know, the typically the consultants and multi-managers can sometimes play that role as well, um, or more in the retail space, which is, you know, the, your, your, your typical, in, you know, independent financial advisor, or as we're seeing now, a massive growth in DFMs who really are taking on that role. Um, and I guess, you know, the important part is that my sense is that for the best part of the last, you know, several decades and of how this industry has evolved, um, the advisor really spoke on behalf of the end client, or they almost looked at what product was coming out of the asset manager or the fund manager and almost then sold it on to, to the client. And the client almost you know, without not not trying to say is that the, the client didn't really have much choice, but they really just took what they were being offered. So, you know, I'm I'm not saying that there's nothing that can you know solve for an investor's needs, um, you know, as well as a good old balanced fund in South Africa. You know, particularly if you can include now some you know private markets assets, you know, infrastructure, offshore, etc. So that still will always have a place, and I think is probably one of the most enduring products. But more than that, is the voice now sits with the client as opposed to the intermediary. And so, you know, as you're listening to um, Sam and she speaks about you know, the two parts, which are the sources of capital. Previously, the sources of capital, you know, really relied on, on you know, what was available. Now they're articulating, actually, this is what we want to do with our money. Um, this is what we want, how we want to see our money being invested. So, you know, we have a large, um, you know, scope of institutional clients and the conversations have completely evolved over the last decade. If I think back to some of our due diligence meetings and, you know, in our pre in my previous life and at my previous um, you know, um, uh, employers, um, it was very much about, you know, where did we see the markets going, you know, which shares were going to go up, where were the risks um, globally, locally, and now that's a much more, you know, textured conversation. Um, the asset owners and the trustees want to know and understand the members that are in their funds, how is their life positively, negatively, or indifferently affected when we invest 25% of their savings in a you know, Chinese internet company. And I'm referring here to Tencent Naspas, you know, which for a long time process has been the largest stock um, in our stock market. So they're really now grappling with understanding what are the actual impact of the investment decisions on the, on the lives and the livelihood of our members. This is no longer a detached conversation about, well, here's a hundred rand, I trust you with a hundred rand, grow it and you know, report back to me once a year. Um, and I mentioned earlier the whole notion of failures. So, you know, one of the largest stocks in our stock market, Steinhoff, which we all know, you know, know well by now because it's now notorious, uh, was, you know, is the largest investment failure of the last decade in the South African market. At one point, Steinhoff was the 
sixth largest stock in the market. And that meant that it, it was pretty much almost every, you know, you know, individual and, and funds portfolio. And so the questions people are now asking, you know, themselves is, how, what are our learnings from this? How can we avoid such a stupendous loss um, to that's permanent, really was a, a permanent loss of capital? Um, what were the flags? You know, we'll, we'll never, investing by its very nature um, is not is a completely probabilistic and imperfect science. It's much more an art than a science, actually. Um, and through it, all we can do is get learnings. And we've got learnings globally and locally. And so I'd say, you know, some of the, the, the attributes and the flags that we, we've we gotten, and I could list, you know, Tonkart, Steinhoff, globally, many, many learnings, um, was, the, was the focus that actually many of those attributes that you spoke about, a focus on governance, a focus on diversity around the decision-making table, which in the, you know, in a corporate is the boardroom table, um, and the dominance of a leader or a CEO um, to, the, to the exclusion of other voices. Um, these are some of the flags that actually, when we look today with the benefit of hindsight, um, we can see we're absolutely contributors to some of the, the losses that we've seen and some of the failures. And so now we're seeing, and I think particularly as generationally, we're seeing the individual investors shift. So the typical, if I just think of my mother, who's 79, um, you know, typically she, you know, she is, was a lecturer, was, you know, sat in a university pension fund. And so today, you know, receives that. Um, she really did not have, you know, much say over, you know, what happened, where those assets were invested. Um, but equivalently now, you know, being much more um, accessible to information and she just sort of, you know, she worked her entire life in one job and she retired. Um, I look at my daughter who's 16, there's a very high probability that she will not um, behave like her grandmother in the world of work. She's probably going to have several jobs. She's probably not going to be interested in retirement. Her, her world of work is going to be more kind of short-term, medium-term financial goals. My daughter's much more interested in social justice, human rights, um, you know, you know, not promoting, you know, sweatshops in China in terms of where her money is invested in, in terms of the brands she supports. Um, and I think those are the sorts of factors that investors care about now. And they want those, those um, values, which really are what they care about, to be exhibited in the way decisions are made over their money. So I think, uh, you know, the, the consultants and the, and the investment advisors really have to almost keep up with the, the voice and the needs of where their clients are, which up to now we could almost, for many decades, we could almost dictate down the value chain to the client, but actually the client's saying, actually, I've got my own ideas about how things should be. How are you going to incorporate that, those in my investment decisions? And Delphine, I mean, you've raised some really interesting points there. And, um, and you've also brought in that concept of the next generation, what they're after. Um, what I mean, there's some wonderful um, research done by Schroders actually, which which talks about 74% of uh, inheritors um, actually get uh, fire their financial advisor or fire the financial advisor of the family within the first year, and that's really essentially because when you think the vast majority of inheritors at the moment are women, um, because the main breadwinner 
uh, dies and often that's male. So, so not only do you have this a notion that there's a, another generation that wants something different. Actually, you've got this notion that women also want something different as well in their investment choices. And perhaps they haven't been engaged enough along the journey of financial advice to want to stay with the financial advisor that was um, sort of in situ uh, for the vast majority of the earning time of, of, of the asset portfolio. What, what do you think financial advisors should be doing to make sure that they're equipped for the future, to make sure they're equipped for the next 10 years, whether it's um, transfer of wealth intergenerationally or transfer of wealth just from you know, uh, one gender to another, which I think is, is certainly the research from the UK is saying, you know, within the next five years, there's definitely going to be more than half of the wealth in the UK is going to sit with women. So how should how should financial advisors equip themselves to be able to deliver? the needs and wants of their clients if that client base is changing. Mm, yeah. I mean, I think if you, if you think about it, it's probably, you know, the thing that financial advisors are grappling with the most. Um, the beauty is that the, the target market or the client market is right there. So you can actually ask them. So, you know, financial advisors should now include women, whether they are beneficiaries, because they tend to, you know, as you said, be the, the, the largest, you know, cohort of inheritors. Um, and, and, the, and the data says that women, you know, are outliving men in terms of just longevity and lifespan. Um, but or secondly, I think one cohort that we should not forget, um, and I guess you've got two of them on this call, is that women are also owning their own businesses. Um, and so you have this growing, you know, group of, of women-led um, kind of savers and income generators who are, are very interested in being involved in the financial decision. We're all super busy, though. So I think, you know, what financial advisors need to do is they firstly need to, you know, understand what it is that serves women and I and and the next generation, um, as I mentioned, which would be Gen Z and millennials. Um, and 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 I'd say in through that decision, understand that. You know, women's needs are have evolved. We're not a niche, you know, we're not like a niche demographic that needs to be patronized down to in terms of wanting simple, you know, vanilla products necessarily. Actually quite interested um, in understanding how, you know, the values that we hold are going to be represented in the investments we, we, we are interested in. Um, and secondly, I'd say is to actually bring information. So if you think that we're in an, we're in an age of complete information overload, we are, you know, we're, we, it's hard to know what to trust, what not to trust, what is fact, what is, you know, misinformation. And so I think advisors, you know, now play a quite critical role in almost taking, you know, you know, facts about, or firstly assimilating true facts about products, about future asset classes, about, you know, current asset classes, packaging it um, in a credible, thoughtful way that's not just about you know, pushing product information. You're not just interested in fact sheets and, and, you know, glossy brochures and long conferences. If you think of a time-starved, priority-based, you know, women investor, they really are going to rely on the whole role of advice in a very different way. Um, and also in a different format, you know, in a format that perhaps can be consumed uh, quite easily, whether it's audio, whether it's sound bites, whether it's, um, you know, something that could be, um, I think, relevant to the individual. 
Um, and while they're interested, I'd say in yes, just unpacking, you know, the vanilla asset classes, if you look at the current generation, please include um, what they're interested in, which, you know, things like crypto, things like alternative asset classes, things like hedge funds, things like socially responsible funds. Um, and, and with that, um, I would say, you know, most importantly, understand that um, women and, and, and the next generation are interested in having kind of influence over those choices, not to be just pushed them. So almost to be given a menu of options that have been thoughtfully reduced or thoughtfully, you know, um, engaged with rather than only, in, you know, introducing the woman once she's actually inherited the money. Um, by that point, you know, you're almost too late because that mm -hmm. is very likely. And and I would say the financial advisor and the and the role is role is probably as key. It's it's not less key um, in 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 a woman um, client or in, you know from a gender perspective or in the next generation. But I think the scope of the advice needs to really grow, um, and the and the way in which it is consumed and offered also needs to evolve quite meaningfully. Really interesting points you make there about understanding the difference between uh, different groups of demographics, understanding the delivery of advice as well. I love that point. You know, uh, we, I think the days of just getting a, a pack or a, five sheets of paper that say this is how you this is how you perform this year. This is you know I don't really suggest we do anything with your portfolio. I think those days are, are, are coming to an end. It's got to be much more engaging uh, to engage different dem demographics. Sam, if I might just ask you, you've got a psychology background and Delphine there spoke about quite a lot about, you know, how women do consume information differently and want to be engaged differently. What's your take on, on um, you know, whether that's the case and particularly also that the next generation we talked about Gen Z there. I mean, you know, I can't keep talking about millennials being young ones because they're not really that young anymore. But you know, but the, the Gen Z's coming through. Are you seeing a, a real difference in how they want to consume information, how they make decisions, how they want to be engaged? I'm sure you are. What, what does that look like in your world? I mean, I, I couldn't agree more with what, what Delphina said. I mean, I think it's absolutely critical to be intentional about this. Um, uh, you know, the only things I'd really add in terms of this particular, you know, key question which advisors need to think about is, you know, how do you test your own biases? How do you test your own assumptions, stereotypes? You know, I think Delphine has been really kind of pointing people in the right direction, which is go and listen, right? Um, but But how do you listen in a way that is that is active and it's not coming through your own lens? Um, of, of hearing. Um, and, and probably part of, of that is also testing what the diversity looks like on your side as an advisor. Okay. Um, you know, so, so certainly, you know, I know, for example, in our industry that, you know, organizations, fund managers that are um, gender diverse are double as likely to invest in a business in, that is run by a woman. Okay. So, necessarily advisors that are able to reflect their own diversity of thought and background, et cetera, are equally going to be able to understand the challenges that their clients face and be able to serve them so much better than in, 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 in the stand, the status quo. And I think it's, it starts with awareness, right? I mean, 
by virtue of unconscious bias, by virtue of the definition, you know, we're not always aware of the ways in which we are biased, the ways in which we see the world through our own particular lenses. So I think the starting point for advisors and for, for, for anyone involved in this industry is to, to stop and say, well, in what way am I missing something here? Okay, because I think that the key message, and I think that that is what, you know, I am I am consistently seeing. I was asked a question recently. Well, you know, don't you lose investment opportunities because you're very deliberate about your agenda to 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 drive diversity? And you know, how do these organisations, particularly because we invest in a lot of very traditionally male, traditionally white industries? Uh, in South Africa, but also in other markets as well. Um, how do they feel when you show up and you've got these, these demands, right? And I've been astounded, right, by the extent to which these entrepreneurial, founder-run, quite traditional, um, old-school businesses and founders and families have embraced and want to be a part of this. They just don't always know how. Okay, um, but you know, instead of coming up against, and it's not that we've never come up against, you know, uh, resistance to 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 these type of forward-looking ways, I think there is a realization that the world is changing. Okay, and you know, the the what what worked, and this is where, and I really to get into, you know, perhaps kind of a new, more forward-looking um, discussion point is really about understanding the intensity of complexity in the world today. Okay, uh, Adrian Gore was actually speaking on this quite recently about just the, the 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 extent to which, and if you think about these traditional businesses, perhaps you know generational family businesses, what what made that business successful for first generation, second generation, etc., or what got a business from you know startup to kind of a position of scale. It's not what it takes to get it to the next stage, and particularly in the environment that we have, they now call it a poly crisis, right? Um, you know, everything between the, 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 the geopolitical environment that we're facing and technology and the impact of AI and the impact of uh, climate change, all of these factors are kind of coming together and suddenly the skill sets required are just fundamentally different. So understanding all of this, understanding where your limitations are with the limitations of the businesses that you invest in. Um, these are the, the topics of today. It's no longer good enough to be able to make a good business better. Now you have to be able to reinvigorate. You have to be able to reinvent. And if you don't have investment partners, asset managers, fund managers, et cetera, who understand that, then you are investing with the dinosaurs. And, you know, that means that suddenly it's not about can you be innovative to, to make a positive return? You could actually land up losing money if you don't incorporate all of these much more qualitative and, 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 and complex features of the world that we live in today. Sam, Delphine, you just before before I wrap up, you are both um, incredibly successful female entrepreneurs in South Africa, and I think your stories are fascinating. What advice would you give to any young men or women out there who see people like you successful? Um, they've made it to, to where they want to go. They've listened to that inner voice. They haven't been scared of it. They've taken that leap of faith. They've believed in themselves. 
what advice would you give in say two minutes? What advice would you give to those people who, you know, just starting out, perhaps feel a little underconfident? What would you say to them, Sam? Okay, so I have a lot to say, so I'll just say one. <laughs> um, there are times when I, I get asked if I had known how hard it would be, um, you know, would I have done it? And I just say, I'm really glad I didn't know. So I'm not going to tell you how hard it is. Um, but probably the one thing that was was really important for me was there was a part, it was kind of when we were about four years old and I kept looking at all these other businesses and saying, well, how come they're so successful? Why have they raised so much capital, et cetera? And then I would go to their website and I have a look at them. And, oh, they've been around for 10 years. And then the next one, oh, they've been around for 10 years. And what I realized is, and I then heard this, 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 this phrase about, you know, it takes 10 years to be an overnight success. Okay. So that's the important <laughs> part, right? Not 10 years to be a success, 10 years to be an overnight success. And what it, what, what we realized is, as a team is that you only see the end part. That's the part that above the surface, right? What you don't see is what it takes before you getting to that point, okay? You don't see it, you don't feel it, you don't hear about it. Obviously, the, 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 you, you're seeing the success stories, that that's the survivorship bias. There is an unbelievable amount of work in building a business. And the reality is that, but for the few, um, it takes a good 10 years. Of course, now I'm feeling a little anxious because we're turning 10 towards the end of the year. So it's kind of like, now I'm like, okay, so I, I, it helped me to be patient, you know, six years ago. So we have now what we call the countdown to overnight success. So then it was six years to overnight success, five years to overnight success, et cetera. So now, now we're sub one year. So the pressure's back on. But at the time, it was so important for me because I was so hard on myself right? We as a team were so hard on ourselves. We are a gender diverse team, but, you know, being largely women led, you know, women put themselves, especially in business under so much pressure, pressure to be absolutely everything. Um, and yeah, it was that, it was that ability to step back and say, it's just going to take time. So that was mine. It's that age old um, adage, isn't it? You know, oh, we've got so far to go. And then you look over your shoulder, but look how far we've come. Um, and I think that's that's so important to hold on to when you run your own business. I certainly remember it when I was running my business. Delphine, could you give us your insights as well as to what would you say to, to uh, any women out there or men for that matter who, who might want to, um, you know, follow the same path you are or just go further in this industry? What would you say to them? Sure. I mean, firstly, I couldn't echo more of what Sam shared. Um, in the investment industry, we often talk about, you know, it's not timing the game because you'll often hear in investing, um, you know, when entrepreneurship, your timing matters, but actually it's time in the game. Um, and so that's really, I, I, you know, I could 100% resonate with, 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 with Sam's observations. Um, you know, if I could add something, perhaps, you know, personally, I'd say um, what keeps you going almost every single day, because it is that, you know, that 10 year, um, you know, is really, you know, you almost, it's, it is 10 years to an overnight success is, um, is your intrinsic motivation. If you're not 
you know, clear, you know, central, you don't have that intrinsic motivation and you're responding to kind of what's happening out there, you almost, you know, certainly listen to the critics in your head. Um, so you really need to listen to that positive voice in your head that's saying this is why you're doing it. But once you've done, you know, once you have that almost as a baseline, I'd say the thing that's really got me going and kept me going is that it's actually not about me. This is not about my success. This is not about, you know, my self-mastery. Um, this is way beyond that. In fact, there is a calling. There is um, a, a, a desire to serve. Um, and in fact, you know, whether I'm joining a podcast, whether I'm, you know, helping a client, um, we tend to be, you know, very focused. And I guess, sadly, you know, social media has, you know, created a huge um, kind of industry around um, almost, you know, obsession with self. But actually, true entrepreneurs and truly successful, I think, professionals in any field start to kind of lose that obsession with self. They have self-awareness, but it's not actually about themselves. It's about what they're there to do to serve. Um, and once I kind of have made that click in my own mind, um, I've suddenly, I wouldn't say I've relaxed more, but I've actually understand that I'm just almost, you know, I'm just a conduit. I'm playing a role. Um, and even when we think about things like legacy, I'm, I'm I'm kind of less obsessed with what that needs to look like, but rather kind of here to serve um, in, in, the, in the now and in the future. And that's a wrap on this episode of Connect the Dots by Innate. I hope you found this discussion on private equity and venture capital informative and valuable for your practice and as an independent financial advisor or wealth manager. Remember, at Innate, we're committed to providing you with practical and technical insights to help you navigate the complex world of financial markets. So be sure to stay tuned for future episodes of Connect the Dots, where we'll continue to bring you the latest trends and techniques in the industry. Until next time, I'm Georgina Smith, and this is Connect the Dots. Innate is a registered trademark of Stanlib Wealth Management Pty Limited, an authorized financial services provider.